That's where I want us to turn our attention today. Before I do that, I just want to say this. We are excited to have our Welcome Center back in business out here. We had to move it out because of all these chairs we got, so it's out here. Uh, So if you are new, if you've been visiting since we reopened and you haven't been to our Welcome Center, we have a gift for you. We would love for you to come get it, even if you've been here for a couple months, because we weren't able to give it to you before. Uh, and we would love for you to stop by, check in with us, and let us know how we can help you back there. So really, really excited about that. Dan and I are glad to be back. Uh, we had a good time away. Uh, Jim did a fantastic job last week filling in. And uh, I, just, I just think our church is always stronger when there's a lot of voices. It's not just one voice. There's a lot of voices who are feeding us and leading us. And so I th- I'm, I'm thankful that we as a church get that, that it's not like, oh, well, it's not Mark, so I'm not coming. I'm glad that we can have energy and life and, and, and learn and grow from the Word of God because really it's the Spirit of God that does that in us. It's not a person, right? I mean, it better be. You guys agree with that? Yes? Yeah, okay, good. I was like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe I have the wrong church. Maybe I need to go drive to a different place. We, we know that it's the Spirit of God and the Word of God that teaches us and builds us and establishes us. And so no matter who is up here talking, I'm thankful for the work of God that is consistent, that is always here. All right, we're going to step out of our study in the book of Exodus, and uh, we're going to talk today. I've titled today's message, A Better Hope. I want to take the next four weeks, and I want to look at Really, the, the, the kind of title of the series is Rough Year? Question mark? Is anybody like, what are you talking about, Mark? <laughs> Rough year? I, no, it's been a great year. It's been easy. I haven't really had to, to think much. It's just kind of on autopilot. I'm just going through life without much to do. Of course it's been a, a rough year. And unfortunately, as much as our, our denial kicks in, this year isn't getting easier or more clear. We aren't getting better answers. And so I guess at the beginning of something where this, this whole thing flips upside down, you ask yourself, you know, how long can I hold on until we get back to normal? I guess that question's kind of like gone. Now the question is, what do I do with this? What do I do with this? Christians, I think this is not an inconsequential question. As a matter of fact, I think it is one of the core questions for us. Because what we do when life doesn't do what we thought it would do really says a lot about what we think, what we believe, what we hold dear in our souls. Do we just say, well, this is just our lot in life. I guess we're just supposed to be worn out and weary and discouraged. I guess it's just supposed to be overwhelmed. Uh, I'm supposed to be exhausted and, and right on the edge of irritation, if not downright annoyed all the time. That's the way life is. And I excuse myself and I step into all this human turmoil. I think we all want to believe that Jesus makes a difference. But for many of us, it's been hard to find out how to let Jesus make that difference. Maybe you've been overwhelmed with fear and anxiety. Maybe you've been overwhelmed with pride and superiority. Maybe you've been overwhelmed being judged or doing the judging. Maybe you've been upset about losses that you don't feel like we will ever recover from. Or maybe you've lost someone near and dear to you and and that loss feels like it will swallow you up. Somehow, we want Jesus to make a difference and we think he will, but sometimes it's hard to figure out how. Inside of us, we know that our our peace, our joy, our hope, our our life can't be dependent on circumstances changing, but secretly we kind of wish circumstances would change so that we could be okay again. 
I mean, we know theoretically I should have hope and joy no matter what. But I'd like it to be easier to have hope and joy because everything is the way it should be. We know that the faith and power of God, faith, our faith and the power of God are supposed to bring us peace and we're called to be people who spill out hope. But some of us, maybe a lot of us, are struggling to find it. So I hope as we go through this series, it is an encouragement for you. I hope it's something that builds you up. I don't want to chastise you. I want to invite you to everything that you have been offered and given in Jesus. I want to remind you that hope is not something that you have to to stir up inside of you and get up to. Hope is something you've been given. Something that is your birthright. Something that the enemy would like to steal from you. And too many of us, he's got us all spun around. And so I want us to come back to the truth. And the, the enemy's way of stealing what God has given is to offer us something less and invite us to be satisfied with that. To put our hope in that. C.S. Lewis said it like this. We are far too easily satisfied with far too little. People, we have been given much more than we are experiencing most of the time. And when C.S. Lewis says we are satisfied, I don't know that we are exactly satisfied. We are sated for the moment, but that gnawing need and the certainty that it hasn't been really satisfied, it's only been taken care of for a second. That, that gnawing need lives inside of us. And because of that, we find ourselves, just like people who don't know Jesus, in these cycles of obsession and addiction because we can never get enough. And when we realize we can never get enough, we start to fall into self-destructive life habits. We start to fall into depression, waving the white flag. We wreck our soul. Ever, I believe, maybe, maybe you've never thought about this, but I believe every single soul on the face of this planet wants a life that has hope. I think we all are driven to find hope. And I think our world recognizes that because at every turn, we are offered hope. Some kind of version of hope. Advertisers offer us hope. If you buy our thing, you'll have this life. If you buy our thing, if you have our product, you'll look like this. You'll have this this lifestyle. Politicians offer us hope. If you vote for me, I'll do this and this and this and I'll make your life better. We are offered hope by those who tell our stories on screens and tell us where hope is or isn't. We are offered a version of hope by those who teach us, like college professors and teachers in schools. There are loud influencers in today's world telling us we should this and we should that, and this is how to fix it, and this is how to make it better, and we should have this kind of world. They offer us hope again and again, and it's meant to drive us to action because all of us want a life with hope. And what I want to say to you is simply this. None of that is necessarily wrong. The hopes that we have for this world aren't necessarily bad or evil, but they're not even in the ballpark of enough. Whatever the world offers you as hope, Jesus gives better. And you can have better. When we devolve into people who believe that hope comes from the same thing that someone without Jesus would believe, then we have lost the birthright that we've been given. 
Many times we miss the hope that we've been given because we're so locked into the kind of the hope that appeals to our humanity, even though we already know it's not durable or reliable. Jesus comes and offers us hope, and he offers it in this whole other plane in a way we never imagined and, and you cannot possibly see unless you engage it by faith. But the truth is that the hope Jesus offers, even though it's outside of our human experience, is the hope we've been looking for. And it is more than any other hope that you've ever had. We misunderstand it and we miss it. We forget what we have, not always intentionally, but gradually, gradually we get wrapped up in the details of this life, in the burdens of this life, in the decisions of this life. And those human conversations drag us away from the hope that we just sang about this morning. And so let me just illustrate to you how foreign this is to our humanity. Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he ascended. Let me ask you, did Jesus, when he left this world, did he leave it having fixed the world? Well, everybody who was here would have said complete failure, right? But look what he did. He provided life and forgiveness. Only way you can see that is through faith, right? So the world would say, even maybe some of his disciples might have said, well, I'm not sure he did anything. But fixing according to the perfect work of our creator looks dramatically different than fixing according to human understanding, human desires. So the Romans were still in charge. The Jews were still oppressed. People were still lost. But Jesus had done in that moment everything it took to fix everyone who would come by faith, offer salvation to this whole world, and set in motion the redemption that is sure, as sure as yesterday's sunrise and sunset. The only way we see that is by faith. People would say, well, that's just a myth, that's just a story, and yet we know it is life itself. And so today, I want to start, because we're going to be in John 14 for this series, I want to start in John 14, verse 1. And I want to look at some of the words that Jesus said to his disciples on the night of his betrayal. I want to offer this to us, because while his disciples were in a unique circumstance, so are we. I think we can very much identify with Jesus' words here. They are familiar words. John chapter 14, verse 1 says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I think you know what a troubled heart is. Jesus seems to say that the answer is faith. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. And it's not an impersonal faith. It's a very personal faith saying, you know me. Disciples, you know me. So you can trust me. Put your faith in me. And because you know me, you know the Father. So if you're living with a troubled heart, and I think most of us probably some, to some degree are, what Jesus says to us is that the freedom from a troubled heart comes from choosing to believe. And that's what we're going to be exploring in these coming weeks. A troubled heart is where Jesus starts because it is a very, pretty normal human experience. And the reality is it can be a constant human experience. You can always find a reason to have a troubled heart, can't you? Sometimes you feel like you didn't choose it, it just showed up. But the question is not whether you chose it or not. The question is, is your heart troubled and is that what you want? Do you want to live in this life with a troubled heart? Now, you say, of course not. That's a dumb question. Now, I don't know that it is. Because some of us don't 
make any choices we, that, that would take us away from a troubled heart. We choose to focus on things that add to our troubled heart. We feed the trouble, and then we shrug our shoulders like, I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Or we shift responsibility to someone else, thinking we're seeing clearly when really we're missing out on what we actually want in life. We, we're very clear about our complaints. We're very clear about what everybody is doing wrong, but we're not clear about the choices that I'm making that are determining my experiencing and forfeiting the joy, the peace, and the hope that comes through Jesus. Jesus says very gently to his disciples, don't let your hearts go that way. And he says to us, don't let your hearts go that way. There is a gravity pulling you towards a troubled heart every single day. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. For his disciples, think what they're about to witness. For them, it was as unimaginable as it would be for us to imagine a pandemic that shuts down a country, Right? that their Lord would be betrayed by one of their own sitting at the table with them, that he would be tortured and humiliated and killed, and it would all seem over. This is the night Jesus says to them, do not let your hearts be troubled, because Jesus wants us to have better, better than a hope that is determined by what I see or what I think or what I experience or what seems possible humanly, better than what's happening now or what happened yesterday or what's about to happen tomorrow. Jesus wants us to have better, and this is really great news, and it's real news. It's not fake news. It's real news that we have hope to fill our soul. Are you experiencing it? Are you able to pursue that hope? A troubled heart comes from probably one of two things most of the time, fear or disappointment. And probably disappointment is about being afraid of being disappointed again. You put your trust in a hope, whether a good hope or a bad hope, that can't live up to the kind of hope we need. It is uncertain, it is unstable. So we, we hope for things. We hope to live in a happy relationship, one where we will be known and understood and loved and partnered. But the reality of relationships is that they are messy. They are not perfect. And they can't meet that ever-present demand for complete satisfaction. So we put our hope in a better opportunity, better accomplishments, better understanding, better knowledge, better plans, better people, better stuff. And none of those things are wrong, but none of them are enough. None of those are the hope that Jesus offered you. Those are not what Jesus died to give you. Jesus knows that when our hope is in anything other than him, we will always wind up with a troubled heart. So you can choose to settle and say, well, that's the norm. I guess I just got to get used to it. Well, that's a terrible solution. You know, I'm just a realist and I just know bad things are going to happen in life and oh well, it is what it is. Giving up hope is a dangerous thing because we are people of hope. And while it hurts to get disappointed again and again, it should teach us to put our hope where our hope belongs and not in things that disappoint us. Other people, they just say, well, I have to push harder. I just have to push harder for this thing or I have to push harder to measure up. I just need to keep looking to find another better hope to keep working to make sure that it is what I want, to, want it to be. And so they run on this treadmill and they're exhausted and they're stressed and they're anxious and they can't ever settle their soul. Jesus wants us 
to have better, and He offers to give it to us. So I'm going to take you real quick back to Psalm 33. Because Psalm 33, the psalmist writes here a description of the contrast between hope that satisfies and hope that doesn't. A hope that doesn't satisfy is kind of this kind of hope. It is a hope that is basically a wish. And it might be high probability wish, but it's still just a wish. It's not guaranteed. I mean, I hope I get in shape. I hope the virus doesn't touch me or, or those I love. I hope my person gets elected. I hope I get a promotion. I hope I get sleep tonight. I hope, like, it's a wish. You're not guaranteed any of those things. And so you live in this dangerous realm when you have your hope basically as a wish. Look how the psalmist in Psalm 33 contrasts putting your hope in what humans can do with what you need, the lasting, powerful hope that you need. The first couple of verses talk about the hope that men find. Verse 16 and 17. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. I read those verses and my soul goes, yeah. But my mind goes, what? A king is not saved by his army. That's exactly how he's saved. A horse with all of its great strength can't save anyone. Of course it does. It does all the time. That's why they have horses. Humanly speaking, what he just said makes no sense. Without a faith view, they are nonsense. But what he's pointing at is, no matter how big your army is, you know that there's a chance it's not big enough. No matter how strong your horse is, there's a chance it's not strong enough. These are not secure enough hopes, even though they are intimidating powers. They are human strength beyond a warrior escaping by his great strength. But there is always potential for random, unseen disaster. We cannot secure our own lives or our own world. We cannot sort it out. We cannot make it all the way it should be. No matter how big or strong or rich or famous or powerful you are, you can't do it. And so this anxiety creeps into us. And we just think, well, I just need to gather more hopes. And the world has an abundance of these kind of lesser hopes. I call them false hopes. They sound good. They promise a desirable future, but they don't deliver. I don't know how many varieties of this army and strength and horse hope you could encounter, but you probably couldn't list them all. But let's think about it a little bit. There are people whose hope is in controlling things in their life, and they, they become obsessive, inherently believing that power and control will save me, will make me secure. There are others who believe ambition and financial skill is my hope, inherently believing that my smarts and my talent and my resource will pr protect me and guarantee me a good future if only I have enough. And by the way, how much is enough? Politically, you've got people who are like, well, if the conservatives are in charge, then we'll be okay. If the progressives are in charge, then we'll be okay. We inherently believe if we can just get the right people in power or pass the right laws, then we can secure a better enough future to be enough. False hope. 
If I can blame shift so everyone knows that it's not my fault, then I'll be okay. It never pays off. You're always chasing the idea that someone might blame you for something. We put our hope in change or we put our hope in everything staying the same. We put our hope in relaxation. We put our hope in pleasure, in friends, in amusement, in a job, in a relationship, in a position with a title. There is no end to the offers of hope that will disappoint. And Christians, we live without hope because we bought it. That there is a hope big enough to fill up our soul outside of Jesus. The reason so many give up hope and so many people live at a thousand miles an hour, the reason the world feels so dark is that these hopes always fail us and everyone is in some form of panic chasing a hope that they know will fail them. Christians, we should not be like that. We know where hope is. We've been given and offered a hope that is secure. The psalmist says there's a real place of hope. Pick up verse 18 down to the end of the chapter. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him, on those whose hope is in His unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord, for He is our help and shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. So may Your unfailing love be with us, Lord even as we put our hope in you. Where do we choose to put our hope? In matters of this life, there is no security like the security that comes from trusting the Lord in the context of, the psalmist says, his unfailing love. His love doesn't fail, right? If his love doesn't fail, then my hope is sure, isn't it? If nothing is too hard for God and He never fails in His love and His love is towards me, then I am not a fool to put my hope in Him, to find my hope from Him. I'm a person who finds hope that's satisfied. It is counterintuitive but completely faith normative to find hope for the dangers of this life by looking to a place beyond this life because God's love is unfailing. The hope we need doesn't come from human ability, from human knowledge or cleverness or leverage or wealth or reputation. The hope we need comes from a choice to trust the faithful creator who loves us. And that, P.S., never changes. His love never changes. So your hope never needs to change. I'm not saying you don't get unsettled by the things and confused by things. I'm just saying we always come back to my God loves me and he's got me and he will never fail. We need believers to live like there's something to believe in. You feel like you need hope. You feel like you're living hopeless. But what you're talking about is hope for the short term. What will tomorrow look like? What will the next few hours look like? What will the next months look like? How will I have what I need? But what God has given you is long-term hope. Well, that's fine. Someday it'll be okay. How does that help me here and now? Here's what I'm going to say to you. When hope feels hard to find, believer, if you're a believer, you can look at your past and you can look at your future to find hope for the present. And here's how. 
Because becoming a believer is, be, is realizing that Jesus, the Son of God, died for you. Put the love of God on display for you and said to you, this is how far I will go in my love for you, all the way to the sacrifice of my own life. And then he conquered death by rising again, saying, not only is my love boundless for you, but nothing is too hard for me, not even death. And so when I receive that, this, this scar of my soul, this darkness inside me, this sin that I can't do anything about, he washes away and brings me eternal life. So as I look at my past, I am reminded that nothing is beyond the power of God and nothing is beyond his love for me. And then when I look to the future, let's get back to Jesus' words in John 14. He says this, verse 2 and 3. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that would, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. Remember, Jesus is about to die, and he knows he's about to die. It's why he institutes the Lord's Supper that night. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. It's no mystery to Jesus what's about to happen. So what does he do to his disciples? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust me. And then he says to them, when I leave you, don't lose hope. You could lose hope by looking at what's happening, but I want you to have hope that when you know how much I love you, and when you know how much I'm able to do, that when I give you a promise, you can absolutely bank on it. Whatever happens between here and there, I go to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and take you there. This is a hope that you can build your life on. And they actually did build their lives on this promise. It carried them with confidence through experiences that could make any person wilt. Powerful men that do horrible things and they stood up with confidence and said, my God has me. Do whatever you want, but my God will have the final word about my life. And Christians, we get all nervous and we get all scared and we get all shaky and we get all upset because we forgot our birthright, that we have a hope that has been given to us, that nothing can shake and nothing can change. He gave us a hope we could build our lives on. He showed it to us when he saved us, and he promised it to us for our forever. So whatever happens in the here and now is not the end of the story. And it is not the determiner of your hope. We need to get our hope off of the things that so many are looking at to decide if they're going to have a good day or a bad day, if things are getting better or things are getting worse. And I'm so weary, my soul is so weary of all the people who are looking, who are believers who are looking at the world and going, oh, it's getting so bad, oh, it's getting so worse, as though we don't have hope. We have hope in Jesus Christ. So I'm saying, if you've been struggling and you've forgotten that you have a better hope, if you've been putting your hope in lesser things without even realizing it, this is a day to come back to the hope you've been given. When you find yourself hopeless, the only reason you do as a believer is because you've let go of the true hope you have been given in Jesus. You've got to find your way back and the Spirit of God's got to give you that direction, that path back to the hope 
you have in Jesus. And that's the kind of hope that shines through our lives. That's the kind of hope that says, no matter what happens, I'm good. No matter what happens in my family, what happens on my job, what happens to my health, what happens to my civil liberties or my American rights, what happens to my bank account, what happens to the stock market, what people think of me, what people do to me, no matter who gets elected in November. Would to God that we were people whose hope was unshakable because our God is the same, because our cause is the same, and because whatever that mess is, my opportunity, my mission is to share that Jesus saves, that he loves us, that I have a forever because of what he did for me when I trusted him. I have a forever that will make even the worst day dim into invisibility. Believers, we need to have the hope we've been given because what Jesus offers is so much better than anything the world can offer, anything I gravitate towards, anything I could naturally seek. And so all I'm saying to you today is, how about we live with hope? How about we live with the hope we've been given and we share it with a world that desperately needs it? I pray that God will allow us to do exactly that. Let's close this morning with a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, we as your people, we need you. We are desperate for your spirit to breathe life into us again. To quicken our minds and restore our souls to, to be people that are hopeful, not people who are going around downcast and downtrodden and full of mourning and weeping over the way things are. In my life or in this world, we need to be people who know, who have confidence that our God has given us a promise that he will carry it out. We need to be people who live in hope. Teach us what that means. I pray that your spirit would speak to each of us, making direct application for what's going on in our lives and the hopes that we've been offered and we've bought into that are creating this, this tension and this weariness and this exhaustion inside of us. Let us come back to some of the things we sang today. Yours is the only name that matters to me. Yours is the name that I live for. Christ alone is my cornerstone. Weak made strong in his love. Father, bring us back, not just in church, but as we walk, as we go, as we live, as we breathe, as we interact, as we sort out the, the mess of this life. Let us sort it out standing on the rock of our hope, of our faith in Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.